This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today, we highlight the important work the Northern Pulse Growers Association is doing with farmer and NPGA president Sam Arnson, as well as executive director Shannon Burnt. You know, this is an exciting time to be part of this industry because we are still a fairly small industry, but we're growing. Um, you know, we're seeing a, l- a lot of additional states coming on board with acreage and production that face some of the same challenges that uh, North Dakota and Montana producers face. And so as a collective group of growers, I think it's important that y'all have a voice. Shannon Burnt worked in the pulse crops industry for several years before taking on the job of executive director of the Northern Pulse Growers Association in 2007. Sam farms northwest of Williston, North Dakota, and that allows him to farm in two different states, North Dakota and Montana. Those are the same two states that formed the joint organization of the Northern Pulse Growers Association back in 2006. Since that time, the crops that NPGA represents, as many of you know, dry pea, lentil, and chickpea, have grown dramatically in both acres and in marketing opportunities. Shannon and Sam join me on the show today to talk about their work at NPGA, the importance of bringing the industry together to fund research, marketing, and education efforts, and how you can get involved. We also ask Sam about what's on his mind as a grower of pulses and what both Sam and Shannon think about the outlook for pulse crops in the future. One quick note is that this interview took place before their NPGA convention that happened in January. So we're going to talk about it as if it's happening in the future, but it actually happened last month, just so you know. However, you will have another chance to go again next year, so you can add that to your calendar now. All right, we'll kick things off here with Shannon reflecting on the early days of NPGA and what initially brought the growers in North Dakota and Montana together to form this joint organization. We had some very uh, dedicated producers, actually, on both sides of the border. And, you know, they saw an opportunity to really address some of the producers' problems, and you know, on the research side, agronomic issues. Funding within the industry was, you know, very minimal or very limited. So this provided an opportunity for them to pool resources, you know, by having researchers collaborate together, but also, you know, having Northern Pulse growers dedicate their time to producer education and increasing acres in Montana. So really in those early years, there was a lot of staff time travel across the state of Montana, you know, whereas now we have maybe one meeting a year. There were years where we were having three and four producer meetings across the state of Montana. And uh, we realized that the interest was so great that Some of the smaller um, venues that we had for those meetings, you know, we'd have 50 in the room and 50 standing outside the door. So we realized we needed to do a larger meeting. And, you know, same could be said of the early years in the North Dakota industry. You know, you hit a point where you have more seasoned growers than new growers. So, you know, you kind of level off maybe on your production numbers and your acreage numbers and maybe the number of growers that are, you know, becoming involved in that industry. But um, but it's been really exciting, you know, to see the growth happen in Montana, you know, in North Dakota, we've kind of hit that plateau where, you know, most producers that are going to include it in their rotation have included it in their rotation and had it in there for many years. And so we're looking for some of those new producers, you know, on the agronomic benefits and the marketing opportunities for them, you know, pulses really have a a pretty bright future. So and I'm sure, you know, those categories of research and marketing and education, they've they've taken on a lot of different forms and a lot of different sort of priorities within them over the years. 
Uh, what right now is kind of key priorities for uh, Northern Pulse growers w- within those kind of research, marketing, and education buckets? Well, I think, you know, when you look at the education side of things, you know, the organization was really developed to, um, you know, the primary focus in those early years was producer education. It was focusing on getting more folks involved in the industry, um, getting that acreage growth. You know, now it is also you know, continue to get more producers into the industry, but also to make sure that they are getting the corrective education so that, you know, they're successful in what they do. We want them to continue to grow pulses. You know, we don't want them to have a wreck the first year they go in because, you know, they um, maybe didn't get the correct information or maybe they weren't sure of, you know, um, weed management options or um, disease management options or any of those things. We want to make sure that we are able to get that education out to them. So we're in a little bit different area because some of these production areas have been growing pulses for so long. They're starting to experience more of those issues than what they did in the early years. And so now it's more important than ever, especially since we've invested so much money in the infrastructure of the industry. Um, that we protect not only the industry, but that we protect the growers' profitability and their ability to continue to produce pulse crops. So, and and what's going on on the the marketing side today? What's exciting about uh, about the the markets for pulses? Well, and you know, we focus on the regional marketing efforts. So it's it's interesting, you know, for as many producers that are familiar with pulses, many of them aren't consumed here either. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting uh, twist on things is, you know, educating folks on you have a lot of locally grown products here, you know, that can be incorporated um, that are, you know, healthy, nutritious. But I think probably the most interesting thing on the marketing side is the domestic use of pulses. You know, we are still a primarily exported commodity. And that was the case for many, many years, but you're starting to see so much more opportunity, not only on a whole food side, but on the ingredient side as well. So you see a lot of products that have been on store shelves for many, many years that are now incorporating pulses, you know, because they're maybe upping the fiber content or, you know, they're looking for some additional ingredients to help with that nutritional value to a product that people are already familiar with. So I think that's probably been the the most interesting thing is seeing us go from completely export to, you know, some domestic use as well. Mm -hmm. And Sam, let's bring you in here. I know you, you've been on the board for what, six or seven years now. I think you were saying Um, when you talk to other growers out there about, you know, the value of Northern Pulse growers, what, you know, what do you tell them? Well, I first ask if they've ever had a problem with either research or they're wondering where their checkoff dollars went or um, if they've ever wanted to have a say in the industry, then I, if they say yes, I said, well, that's why you get involved with Northern Pulse Growers because you get to have a say in all of that stuff. You get to help with the research projects. You can explain where the checkoff is, is going and how it's going to get used. We also have input in the crop insurance program for pulses. Um, so if they ever have a problem with it and I hear about it, I'll say, well, I guess I can put you on the board then next year. <laughs> and then they kind of wake up and be like, oh, you guys do do all that. Okay, well, I'll just let you handle it if you take care of you know, this. But 
once you explain it that way to them, it, it's kind of a wake up that, hey, that's what these boards are for. A lot of people, they, after a year or two, they do get involved, but um, it's a it's a slow process to get people involved in that. Yeah. Which part of it gets you most excited? I'd say some of the research projects coming out. I didn't realize how, not slow, but uh, time-consuming and tedious it is to breed out new varieties. And I learned that through being on the board and going to meetings. So I think that it's exciting because there is a lot of agronomic challenges growing pulses in certain regions now in the area. So that's really exciting. The other thing I, I like to... Uh, have an input in when we get a chance is if there is a problem with the insurance side, that's when we can get it addressed and get it fixed and hopefully working better for growers. So the other thing that happens being on the board is not so much learning from the board or researchers. It's you learn by visiting with people and you meet new people, you hear new ideas, you hear what Joe Schmo is doing down by Bowman, North Dakota. Oh, that might work up here. Let's try it next year. And you can converse and share ideas that way. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool too, to, uh, to experience. And, and Shannon, as you visit with uh, farmers out there, what do they tend to find most surprising about the work that you all are doing? I think um, particularly the input that we gather, you know, and, and Sam alluded to this too, that it's so important to have producers um, providing input on research, on crop insurance, farm bill issues, any of those types of, you know, challenges or issues. Um, and I think that the fact that our producers do have, you know, a, a tremendous amount of influence, you know, and input on those research projects. Um, in February, actually, we hold a joint research review with our national organization. And those committees that review those proposals are all made up of producers from the various boards. And so they're making the decisions on what projects will be funded for the upcoming crop cycle. And, you know, I think that's very important in the fact that as a producer, they're the ones seeing the challenges out in the field. They're the ones that are saying, this work doesn't work for me in my region. And so that's important, not only for those researchers to hear, but for everyone else in the room to hear, because what works in one region may not work in another region. Um, you know, the same can be said about the marketing side of things. You know, producers letting everyone know if they're hearing any issues, you know, with the processors and elevators as far as transportation or, you know, some of those challenges that they have, they bring those to the um, grower association. We're able to then forward those onto the national board as, you know, they may not be aware of trucking issues that are happening in Montana and North Dakota or, you know, restrictions due to weight limits, those types of things that affect different regions. And so it's important our growers in these regions have input on that national level so they can protect the interest, you know, of the producers here as well. And, and really, the time commitment is very minimal. Um, you know, certainly, like Sam said, the one benefit of having face-to-face -face meetings is that you learn so much more from your peers, you know, by actually having that opportunity to visit. And, and this is something that we've really 
and I know that other groups have struggled with this as well as attendance at meetings. Um, you know, what do you do now that, you know, people have seen that Zoom seems to work so well, but I think, you know, how you address that is you keep great information at your conventions. Like this year, we have Dr. Joel Outlaw from Texas A&M. He'll be there again this year. He's fabulous, you know, as far as 20 years experience working on farm bills. You know, we're going to get a great update um, from him on what's happening right now. And and the same can be said about having Jacob Shapiro, you know, talking about the geopolitical side of things because things have been changing so much. So I think by, you know, keeping new, fresh content at those meetings where we want people in person, those are important as well. And then they get the benefits of visiting with the guys in the hallway, you know, having a cup of coffee and hearing what's been working for them this past year and what hasn't. Absolutely. And I'm sure you mentioned a big one there, Farm Bill, but uh, what else, and this goes for both of you, uh, what else are you you hearing are kind of on the top of of farmers' minds specifically now headed into 2024? Well, I can say that we were at the Montana Grain Growers Convention um, in Great Falls, and, and we were a major sponsor. Northern Pulse Growers was a major sponsor of that event. And, and one of the discussions there, and we actually had a um, basically like a shop talk that was hosted by researchers there. And it was interesting to see the weed and disease issues that are now kind of rearing their ugly head in Montana that they haven't had to really deal with over the last couple of years. Now, Sam in North Dakota, you know, we've seen some of those things for several years um, just because we've had more history of growing those crops in certain areas. And so now we're kind of starting knowing that we need to invest some funds within that research um, area to really address some of those needs or, you know, I mean, that's going to be the difference between having markets that we can have the production to fill those markets or creating markets that maybe some other country may potentially fill because um, they're ahead of us on the research side. And Sam, anything to add to that? I would say more locally, uh, people are overall excited next year for pulses to put in into their rotation, if their rotation allows it. And I mean by that is their crop rotation and or chemical herbicide usage. If it's open for pulses, I think a lot of uh, acres are going to go in next year. Locally, green lentils are close to that 50 cent a pound market right now. And um, usually past history indicates that when they get that high, people go heavy on the seeding with those because that's that's pretty good money. So uh, that's locally what people are looking at. And then then it boils down to what Shannon said. It's it's disease pressure. Can you really put it on this field? Because we've had past disease history here. Or maybe we have to rotate to a different crop. And varieties, you know, guys are looking for newer varieties. And they're out there. But like I said earlier, they, they take a while to breed and develop. So they're looking at their options, what would work best on their farms right now. And so, yeah, that's what I know here. Let's talk a little bit about going into this year, kind of this time in pulses right now. You talked earlier, Shannon, about the the growth that you've seen over the last 20 years or so. Is that landscape still changing? Are we are we still growing in terms of acres? And is maybe the uh, the types of pulses that people are growing, is that changing at all? 
Um, I do think that, you know, the opportunities are endless. Um, you know, when you look at that the world population is expected to, you know, basically uh, explode, the need for protein worldwide is going to be so important, um, you know, for all types of protein, not just, you know, plant-based, but also, um, you know, animal-based proteins as well. And so I think the opportunities for pulses, you know, are tremendous, you know, going forward. Um, I have heard, you know, a lot of discussions on fava bean and lupin. Um, there's varieties that are out there. Producers are starting to become more interested in them. Now, again, there's not a lot of research that's been done on those particular crops um, within the U.S. The Canadians, however, have been investing quite a bit of um, funding into researching those particular classes or, or types of pulses. And I think, you know, too, um, um, Sam, mentioned the breeding program. I think, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, you're looking at 10 years for a variety. Um, and the, the difficult thing for us in the U.S. is many of the varieties that were utilized over the years did come from CDC varieties or from Canada. And of course, Canada has been doing this a lot longer than us. So they had a tremendous amount of varieties that were already in the pipeline. So once you get that moving, you know, it's easier for varieties to come forward. Um, we're starting to see some of that investment, you know, in the region and at NDSU breeding program, as well as the MSU breeding program, along with USDA ARS. Some of those uh, newer varieties are starting to come out as well. Um, I think what's interesting about NDSU um, and Dr. Nanoy Bendelio is he had actually discussed how he through the processes that he's utilizing for breeding, that he could take two to three years off of, um, you know, the time frame actually of breeding varieties. So I think as time goes on, you know, we'll get better, you know, at um, the time constraints that are with those um, variety development. But I think also looking for, you know, whether it is tolerance to certain disease issues, um, any of those things that can also help producers, I think will be things that we'll see um, in the future that are pretty exciting, you know, that'll make it much easier for producers agronomically to grow the crop. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we, yeah, we had Dr. Nanoy uh, Bandili on last season. So if you're listening, you haven't checked that episode out, go check that one out. Cause uh, it was really interesting and his enthusiasm is infectious for, for that, that work. Sam, you, you mentioned kind of the ability that, hey, if you want to say and what's happening in this industry, join the board, you know, get involved. Um, I wonder you know, what does that look like for you all that that uh, are in leadership position here to decide where to invest your resources? Um, because it seems like it could go a lot of different ways. How, how do you come to that decision of, of where to focus your efforts? As a board, we rely very heavily on our, our staff at the NPG. And there is a couple board members that do volunteer to go to these research summits, committee meetings. So between our staff and a couple board uh, volunteers that, that do go, they kind of weed out the, I guess, the first layer of um, stuff that maybe isn't important right now, but it could be in the future, but it's not right now. And they find what the NPGA should be focusing on and helping funding. And they bring that to the rest of the board to present to us what it is, what's going on. And um, they say, well, this is kind of the route we should go, I believe. And the board 
can either say yay or nay. A lot of times we say yay because uh, they've already done the work for us where we don't have to sit there and do all the research of all the projects and try and narrow it down. They've done that already and, and found the core stuff that we should be focusing on. And something always comes up during the year. They always do. Somebody has a research project or emergency project that comes up or a grant that comes through mid-season, typically when we're not funding projects at that time. And if it looks important and um, the staff agrees that it is important, then the board will a lot of times approve those projects as they come through. But it's kind of how the board does it. We rely on our staff and those individuals and then we... Um, pick our decisions that way. And I think to add to that, you know, a lot of the staff proposed projects and activities come from visiting with our stakeholders who, you know, our funders, Montana Pulse Crop Committee, the North Dakota Dry Pea and Little Council, because sometimes they have specific ideas that they would like the board to take up, as well as, you know, we do a lot of um, surveying of producers through the research side, typically for or on behalf of the research community. And so that, again, helps them to prioritize as well. And then, like Sam said, those that are involved on those committees, they're bringing back information too. So, and even visiting with our fellow commodity groups, you know, to see what kinds of issues are surfacing there that we know that we need to be um, involved in. So it really comes down to just really good communication amongst everyone, board members, stakeholders, researchers, and other commodities as well. Great. Well, uh, this has been awesome. Thank you for doing this. Uh, let's just kind of wrap up with some some closing comments. Sam, uh, you know, if, if you could kind of address your your fellow pulse crop growers in the industry, what, what's been most personally rewarding to you about your experience of getting involved? Probably the most thing is meeting the people, actually. Um, meeting fellow board members, meeting speakers, meeting um, industry researchers. You meet all these people and yes, uh, they all come and we do board stuff and meetings and whatnot. But it, it, like Shannon said, it is the cup of coffee visiting in the hallway that you really find out what's kind of going on. You can bounce ideas off of other people. You can um, ask for advice if need to be, if it's a researcher or even a um, pulse crop buyer. So I think that is probably the most rewarding that I think. I've seen is uh, is is the people interaction that I've come to uh, come to see there, and um, I've learned a lot. I've changed a lot in different practices here for meeting with people. So, um, if that's something you're into, you should uh, you should maybe be in Minot in January. All right, and Shannon, you're you're going to get the last word here. So, anything else you'd like to add or emphasize from our conversation today? You know, I think like um, Sam mentioned, you know, this is an exciting time to be part of this industry because we are still a fairly small industry, but we're growing. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of additional states coming on board with acreage and production that face some of the same challenges that uh, North Dakota and Montana producers face. And so as a collective group of growers, I think it's important that y'all have a voice um, on national issues, you know, that we can, um, you know, have the grassroots um, to the national uh, side of things. But, you know, looking at all the opportunities for not only the agronomic side of it, but on the marketing side, 
this is just a great time to become involved because you're going to actually be helping to, to set the path for um, really the entire industry. So if you're interested, yes, I would absolutely um, encourage producers to reach out to a board member, reach out to staff, make sure that you're following us on uh, social media so that you can uh, see all the great events and projects and activities we're involved in. And um, yeah, it's, it's a bright future for Pulses. Absolutely. And we'll make sure we direct everybody to your website uh, in the show notes for today's episode. And we do thank you on at the end of every episode, but I, I don't ever get the chance to thank you personally. But thank you for your support of this podcast and making this resource available to the industry as part of the, the educational efforts. It's certainly been a lot of fun to to hear the stories of everything going on in the Pulse Crops industry. And we're very grateful for the opportunity to support, you know, a great program like this. Um, I hear regularly how um, producers have utilized these time and again, and they'll head back to the same podcast to re-listen. So it's a great educational resource for us as MPGAs. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so very much to Shannon Burnt and to Sam Arnson for being on the show. Really enjoyed that conversation about what they're doing at Northern Pulse Growers Association. And if you'd like to learn more, you can always check out their website, which is just northernpulse.com. And we'll, of course, include a link for that in the show notes. Also, make sure you're a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast because you do not want to miss our next episode on weed seed destruction technology with Dr. Brianne Tideman. By and large, on the vast majority of weed species that have been tested in Canada and the United States, we're seeing greater than 95% control of what goes into those mills. There's the odd one. I know some of my colleagues had a little bit lower control with Italian ryegrass. They had some trouble with that. And there's the odd one here or there that's a little bit lower. But when I say it's a little bit lower, we're typically still talking greater than 80% control. Again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is produced by Dr. Audrey Kalisle and myself in collaboration with the Pulse Crops Working Group. The show is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, the Northern Pulse Growers Association, the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, and the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the season, and we want to make sure this information stays relevant to you. If you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag GrowingPulseCrops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks. Thank you.